0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Unity Colorado, a Colin Wilhelm for Colorado podcast. As always, I am Colin Wilhelm, and with me, as always, is our awesome human, Kiwi.
1: Good morning, everybody.
0: How are you doing today, Kiwi? Oh,
1: pretty good. Woke up to some snow. I'm not a snow fan, even though I live in Colorado. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yeah, that's wrong. You shouldn't live here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Our first um, snow of the year, generally around this time of year, maybe sometimes in Halloween, but we got it early this year.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. Don't worry, everybody. It was just a little bit of snow, just a dusting, nothing too big.
1: Just so, enough to close Independence House for the season.
0: Yep. Yeah. Well, um, I guess before we get started, I should say, uh, this is the Unity Colorado. Uh, you can listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. Also, you can listen to us in the best way on our website, willhomeforcolorado.com. There you can donate as well and also sign up to volunteer. Keyword there is donate. Um, it's very important that we get some donations coming in. I hate asking for money, but Lauren Bobert is somebody that we need to uh, to, to take care of. Uh, and so we need to we need to have as much, Fight as we can, because she will have plenty of money come next November.
1: Yes, and every little bit helps.
0: So, we got a good show today.
1: Yes, we are here with Erin Richards-Wilhelm, immigration attorney here in Glenwood Springs. I know her. (laughs) (laughs) Happens to be Colin's beautiful wife. A little bit better than anyone
2: should, probably.
0: (laughs) So, thank you for coming.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Um, Yeah, we're going to talk about immigration um with you today but we um unlike some other podcasts where they bring people on just for their main segment and their topic i thought it would be fun to have to let our guests when we have them participate in the whole show if they want and aaron was gracious enough to to say yes so um so that's what we'll do so what's going on in the news today
1: well, last week we talked about that oil spill in California and how it wreaked havoc on our wildlife. And today I wanted to share a happier story. Yesterday in Colorado, wildlife officials have officially freed a 600-pound bull elk from a tire that had been around its neck for over two years. They did have to cut off his five-point antlers, but the elk will live.
0: Wait, there was an, a, a tire was around the elk's neck?
1: Yeah, oh, I saw that. Very sad, but they were able to get them free. So a reminder, discard your trash to the proper channels. Yes. To take wildlife.
0: Yes. There's, there's a proper places to take your tires. You can take them to uh, almost every tire store will take your old tires, whether they're taking them off or not.
1: I didn't know that. Uh-huh.
0: Okay. And then at least the dumps around Northwest Colorado, landfills, I should say, um, will accept your tires. Uh, do that as well. But I know the tire stores will probably do it for free, and and the dump costs some money, so don't do that. Also, I saw that the oil spill was being cleaned up a little bit. Yes. Newport Beach, I think, opened again. Or, you know, I
1: haven't actually heard, but yeah. I hope so, because those beaches are beautiful, and it's such a sad thing to happen. There.
0: Yep, yep, so that's that's good. Um, so, so there's some things going wrong in our environment, and... Stay tuned. We will be doing an environmental episode coming up at some point. I think it's on our calendar. Yes, and um,
1: Colin, there's some other interesting news in the world of politics. No, there isn't. There no, always is. Never. <laughs> no. Um, tell us a little bit what's what's happening with uh, Trump.
0: Well, so yeah, January sixth, we all know there was a an insurrection, an attempted coup, and. Um, we know that the. Uh, US government uh, through Congress, House of Representatives is investigating that, and they've subpoenaed some of Trump's records through the National Archives, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's invoked executive privilege.:
2: But Biden said there isn't executive privilege. I so know. hmm, what's going to happen?:
0: It's going to be interesting. It, it, it's, he's not the executive anymore. So,
2: Can he inv- invoke executive privilege?
0: Uh, that's a great question. Um, I know I did a little bit of reading on this because I'm a nerd. Um, and that he's, he's trying to say that the committee can't seek his records because they're executive privilege. And he's also said that he'll protect anybody who's being subpoenaed from his administration through executive privilege. It
1: certainly seems like there's quite a bit tied
0: yeah Mm -hmm. um you know why if you got nothing to hide is that what the police always say yeah if you got nothing to hide why can't i search your car Mm right you know why if you got nothing to hide why can't you show me your documents
2: yep just like his taxes
0: yeah Mm -hmm. um i know that if biden says no and there isn't any in the um the subpoenas go through trump would have to sue the national archives Personally, and then that would probably become a Supreme Court case. And um, the Supreme Court has said before in Richard Nixon's case, which we all know, he was a corrupt guy, too. Um, They said that the sitting executive has the best, is in the best position to exert executive privilege or not. And that would be the, that would be Joe Biden's administration, not Donald Trump. Fascinating.
2: Yeah.
0: So we'll see what happens there. Yeah. I hope, I I'm, I just want to see what happened because for our democracy, I think we need to know who knew what and when they knew it.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Including Bobert. What did she know? Hmm. Uh-huh. Those are the records I want to see. I mean, see.
2: she knows that she took people on a tour right beforehand. After hours. On, a, on an authorized tour. Right. Yeah. I know. Smell a little fishy. It does. It <laughs>
0: does. Yeah. We'll keep up to date on that and, uh, get some more information. We might even, depending upon how it goes, do a, do a main episode on it.
2: Yeah, I'm excited to see what comes
0: out of it. Well, don't be. The law <laughs> can get very, very boring.
2: Yeah, especially if it's a trial.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Kiwi. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so we have Erin here today, my lovely wife. Thanks for being here.
2: You're welcome. You're taking me away from my work, Colin.
0: I know, but um, this I'm- is something fun for you to do you
2: just helping me chase that dopamine yes mm-hmm.
0: yes <laughs> um so we brought you here today because you are an expert in immigration law
2: that is correct
0: so um yeah
2: what so, do you, you want to know
0: what tell us tell us a bit, little bit about your background Let's start then. okay
2: so i was born um a while ago and Colin likes to say Ohio, I like to say outside of Detroit, you were born, tomato, tomato, you,
0: <laughs> you were born in Toledo, Ohio,
2: I was born at the same hospital as urban Meyer. And what's the name of the Michigan football coach again,
0: Jim Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh. Ur- so. Yeah, urban Meyer was just at a bar with um, grinding on a woman that was not his wife. So That's a real winner for you.
2: Well, I mean, he's old enough that I'm impressed that his hips could still move like that. Okay. (laughs) Um, And then we moved to Denver when I was about 12, and I went to high school at Thornton High School, and I went to CU Boulder for undergrad. I took a few years off and worked in the um, residential property management field, and then... Um, Went back to law school in Boston and came out of law school and started working in immigration law. Um, While I was in law school, I interned at the Miami Immigration Court and with an immigration firm in Boston. And um, I was also a prosecutor with Suffolk County, which is the county that Boston sits in, as well as Middlesex County, which is where Cambridge and Harvard are. And then I moved out here to Glenwood. And I never look back. I love it out here. It's beautiful. I love being so close to the mountains and being able to ski. And um, that's me.
0: She tried to get rid of her, but I chased her down in Glenwood.
2: Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So,
1: Erin, um, why have you chosen this as your field?
2: Um, well, I majored in Spanish for business when I was an undergrad. So it seemed like a good fit. Um, when I was at law school, I was really interested in it as well, because I'm really interested in international relations um, and the rest of the world. So I thought it would be a good way to follow that passion as well as, um, you know, use my law degree. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's incredible what you do. Yeah.
0: What, so speaking of that, what do you do as an immigration attorney for people?
2: Well, I do a lot of different things. Um, I petition for visas. So whether that's a temporary visa, like a worker visa or a tourist visa or um, a visa for victims who need to make their case in the United States or trafficking victims um, for athletes or people of higher ability, students, all of those different things. And then I also petition for permanent residence. OK, um, so that's for people whose work want them to come here permanently or like a green card. Yeah, a green card. Exactly. Um, or people who have family here in the United States that they want to be closer to. Um, I also help people who are seeking asylum here in the United States. So those are people who have been persecuted in their home country okay. based on a few different things. Um, it's See? very limited.
0: So you represent not the government but the people,
2: right? I represent the people.
0: Okay, and are most of them? Do you represent people in country, out of country, both? Both. Okay. Um, that's that's pretty cool.
2: It is cool. It's neat. Um, I have a lot of different communication apps that I have to use to be able to talk to people internationally.
0: Okay. Um, and how? So, so you represent the people in. And, and not the government, right? who represents the government?
2: So if you are in immigration court, there are lawyers that represent the government. If you are asking for a benefit, some of the people are lawyers, but a lot of the people are um, retired military, or they have some other tie to the U.S. government that helps them get into a federal job. Okay. And so they're just, most of them are just workers.
0: Bureaucrats. Who,
2: yeah, bureaucrats. They have training Um, But it's not always the highest training. All
0: right. So um, I know there's a lot in the immigration field that we could talk about. Yeah. And um, we could talk about the... We could talk for days. Quote, unquote, crisis at the border Uh or that sort of thing. But I thought that really what we should do is try to clear up some misconceptions. And a lot of those misconceptions, I think, from my conversations with you, stem from the idea that there's a process that you can go through. Uh Uh-huh. So it's
2: always a process.
0: Yeah, but t- I want you to take us through that. But so let's say there's a just a hypothetical person from uh what's one of the countries that you have a lot of clients from? Honduras, Guatemala, Mexico,
2: El Salvador, UK.
0: Okay. Um let's pick let's go with El Salvador. Okay. Let's say a uh, 19-year-old cuz he's an adult by then. 19-year-old, let's make it a woman. Um, How would she go about, if she's in El Salvador, Mm -hmm. she wants to come to the United States. um, Let's not give her a full reasoning behind it, but let's just say, how would she go if she just wanted to come to the United States to work but didn't have a job or something? Let's start there.
2: Okay, she wants to come to the U.S. to work. She doesn't have a job or anything. Yeah. Um, She wants to have a better life. Okay. So, there's always two different questions you have to ask when somebody wants to immigrate to the United States. First is, is there the relationship that they need or do they have what they need, the experience they need, the family member, the job.
0: Um, so if to they have a tie honest, to the country, they
2: need some kind of a tie to the country. Yeah. The second part is whether or not they are admissible, which means there's a whole list of different things. And if you have those in your history, you cannot be admitted to the U S so that might be criminal background. It might be a health concern. It might be, um, significant drug use. Um, it might be ties to terrorism. Okay. Um, but if she doesn't have any of that and she has the tie to the country, then she would be eligible for visa. So, how,
0: so let's say she has family members here or something. Mm-hmm. How does she go about doing it?
2: So if her, like literally what
0: steps would she take?
2: If her family members are her immediate family members, Uh so a spouse, a child who's over the age of 21, um, parents, or a brother or sister who's over the age of 21, they can petition for her if they're a U.S. citizen, in most cases, in some cases if you're a permanent resident, but those are limited.
0: Okay. And so it's her mother petitioning her.
2: And her mother's a U.S. citizen. Yeah. Yeah, so her mom could petition for her. She's 19, which is kind of a tricky age. Um, The second thing to keep in mind is that there are only a certain number of visas for each country every year. So
0: take us through the process. I want to get to that.
2: Oh, okay. So mom files an application for her, Uh and USCIS adjudicates it. And
0: How long does that take?
2: That takes about 10 months to a year.
0: Okay, so it's a year so far.
2: Mm -hmm. It's a year. So, on the day that mom files that application for her, you are she's in line um, waiting for a visa. There's only a certain number of visas every year so for each country. Okay. Um, so, she's in line. Let's say the line is, I think the line for that group right now is like 10 years long.
0: Oh. So, it takes one year for them to adjudicate the application, application, Mm -hmm. but it takes 10 years for the application to get to the point where it can be processed.
2: Yes. Well, no, it'll be processed, but it gets to the point where she can take that second step and say, Hey, I think I'm admissible to the United States. Can you check me out for that?
0: Oh, so it's one year for application, but 10 years then
2: for her to 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 come, be able to come. Yeah.
0: So we're talking a decade or longer.
2: If you're like, um, a brother or sister of a U.S. citizen from Mexico. I think they're processing applications from like 1998 right now. Wow.
0: So when people, and that's the line. That, that's
2: the line you have to wait in.
0: So people say out, out on the ground, you hear this a lot. We'll get in line, do it the right way. My grandparents did it or my, you know, my family members did it. So the right way to do it from what you're telling us is a 19 year old from Guatemala or El Salvador who has no criminal history and has ties to the United States through family, would be waiting a decade or more.
1: Yes. Now, could she then come in as like a, a, stay on a work visa or something while she waits for, only if she has a job offer. Okay. Okay. So that has to be in place first. Mm -hmm.
0: What about, um, but, so I've heard that, you know, people get married for a green card. Uh Uh-huh. Is that true?
2: That is true. Um, that can happen. It is called marriage fraud. It is not only a crime, but it also can get you banned from the United States for the rest of your life.
0: Okay. But let's say they, it's not just for the green card. They actually do love each other. Um, how long of a process is that? Is that still a 10 year process? Cause I, I've thought it was like immediately you get married and you're a citizen.
2: Nope. Nope. That is a process. There are some caveats to it, but basically you get married and then you have to file the application. If you came into the United States with a visa, then you can do both of those steps that I discussed before in the United States at the same time. If you did not come with a visa, that gets a lot more complicated because you have to go to your home consulate to process that visa. And that becomes a problem because if you've been in the United States for more than six months, You have a bar to coming back for a certain amount of time, depending on how long you've been here.
0: Oh, if you've been in the United States longer than six months without a visa? Yes. Oh, okay.
2: Yeah, I always thought it was kind of like the movies. Yeah. Where you fall in love, you get married, and that's it. Nope, Nope, that's not it.
0: (laughs) So when people say, go get in line or do it the right way, is there a right way?
2: I mean, yes, there's a right way. Um,
0: there's multiple right There's
2: multiple right ways.
0: So when people, asylum seekers, are doing it the right way, or are they doing it the wrong way? When they show up at the border
2: and they ask for asylum, yeah, that's how you do it. You can't ask for asylum from outside the United States, so you have to be inside the United States before you can ask for it. Wait, what? Yeah.
0: I, mean, I thought we had so many people at the border waiting.
2: We do. So. What has to happen is they come to the border, they say, I need asylum, and then the U.S. government, the procedure that the immigration authorities created for that process is that they then check the background of this person, they have them do an interview to see what it is that they're afraid of, and if they say, um, if they believably say that they're afraid of something that could get them asylum, then they're supposed to be paroled into the United States. Okay and that's where they file their asylum application.
0: So the so the proper way to do it is to go to a checkpoint at the border or at an airport or something like that and request asylum. Correct. So these people that are going to the United States are not and, and have been told do it properly or are, are doing it properly. Correct. Huh. Yes. So there's a lot of what Bobert's saying is a lot of bullshit?
2: Uh, yeah. Mm.
0: We'll get to that. <laughs> yeah uh why do people come to the united states why does why do some of your clients come here
2: um a lot of them come because something terrible has happened to them in their home country like what so el salvador in particular we have a lot of salvadorans here um, in the basalt area and so we work with a lot of them they had a civil war from 1980 to 1990 And a very large percentage of their population was killed.
0: Yeah, it was a very bloody one. It
2: was a very bloody war. And so many of these people have seen multiple dead bodies just out in the street. Um, So they remember that. And then after that, we started, people had come from El Salvador a lot to Los Angeles. And Los Angeles was in the middle of its own gang war at that point in time. So they created their own gang. Because they were in gangs, they then got deported. But the government in El Salvador wasn't very strong at the time. And so the gangs grew and grew and essentially they now run El Salvador. Um, there's two different markets, there's two different economies, there's two different authorities that people have to respond to. And they are in and out of wars, depending on, you know, what the deal at the moment is, but they um, both of them, kill people with impunity.
0: And the, when we talk about when you, when you mentioned the war down there, the civil war was like a formal civil yes. war, but what's going on now is more like
2: a guerrilla war.
0: Um, yeah. So um, it's, it, you never know who to, where, what's going to happen. Right. There's not like formal know, battlefields and stuff.
2: Right. And you never know if the police are going to be with the gangs or if they're going to be able to protect you. Um, you never know if the doctors in the hospitals are mm-hmm. with the gangs or they're going to be able to protect you. So if you get hurt by a gang member, you can't go to the hospital and say the gang members beat me up because that's just going to get you in more trouble. So there's a lot of that. There's a lot of economic issues that are going on in a lot of um, different countries, Um, Mexico, and most of the Northern, you know, most of Central America, maybe, you know, save for Belize and Panama and Costa Rica. Um, There's a, there's a lot of poverty. And so those, those people are coming to try and make a better life for themselves. Um, And then also there are people who come here like on, on, Temporary work visas and fall in love and end up getting married. I have a lot of those cases as well from all over the world. Okay. Now I have
1: a question. Um, you know, say I did come here on a visa and I got pregnant.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I had my child in the United States. Mm-hmm.
2: My child is then a U.S. citizen. Yes, is that correct. Yes, okay. that is correct. Um, if somebody is born in the United States, they are a U.S. citizen. Or if. Their parents is a U.S. citizen, and they meet a whole different list of requirements than they're also a U.S. citizen.
1: Okay, now if I were to get deported, but Uh my child is a U.S. citizen,
2: Uh what happens? Well, it depends on your child's age. Okay. If you are in deportation proceedings and you've been in the United States for the proper amount of time, you might be able to stay if that child is going to suffer some kind of really high level of hardship. Um, let's say they have learning disabilities, or they have a medical issue that can't be treated in your home country. Then you might be able to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, if your child's over 21 and you're in removal proceedings, you might be able to. They might be able to petition for you. Okay. Um, if you are deported because you don't qualify for um, the hardship, or your child just isn't able to petition for you for some reason, they can't. They can petition for you, but you won't be eligible for that visa. Until so you get a waiver, and you've been out of the country for ten years. Now, has
0: the does the U.S. deport parents of underage children? Yes. What happens to those kids?
2: They can go with their parents, or they can stay here with another family member, or go into foster care. And I imagine that
1: creates problems with them
2: when they are yeah. going back
1: to their, you know, their parents' home country, as well as they're U.S. citizens now. They're not citizens to that home country. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to live in that country. Right. Yeah.
0: And they don't. And and then the other option is foster care. If there's not
2: a family member that takes them in. Yeah.
0: So that breeds.
2: A whole different set of problems. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And mental health issues and addiction and Mm -hmm. crime. And that doesn't sound like a very good program Mm
2: -hmm.
0: for for a top society in the world as we want it to be. Yeah. Just um, an
2: embarrassment to me, in yeah. my opinion.
0: So, another one that is, is one is I've heard before, and I know this isn't the case because you've told me this, but our listeners might not know that um, uh, when you serve in the military, you become a citizen.
2: You can, yeah. Yep, I mean, you're not supposed to be admitted if you're not a lawful permanent resident or a um, U.S. citizen, but sometimes it does happen. And then you have the opportunity to apply for citizenship. So
0: if you serve in the military, you can't be deported.
2: I mean, if you don't apply for citizenship and you don't become a citizen, then yes, you can be deported.
0: So we've
2: been deporting a lot of vets in the last four or five years.
0: People who are willing to give their lives for this country Mm -hmm. and they come back and we say bye.
2: Yep. Yep. There's a whole chapter of, you know, deported veterans in Mexico near the border that are deported and can't come back, but they're veterans. So they can't, you know, they need veteran services, but they can't get them because they're not here in the country and they serve this country, but our country turned our back on them. Um, a lot of them was for drug use related issues, which,
0: which yeah, which, which I know and is has a lot to do with PTSD
2: yes or um, whatever mental health yeah. issue that person develops
0: well that's a fucked up situation I, get, I, I got yeah. no better words for it than that yeah um, one last topic that I wanted to discuss with you is this idea of going back to the asylum idea of parole mm-hmm. and that is where somebody gets they apply for asylum let's say and, and they get parole that means that they go into the United States
2: that means that they're given a certain amount of time to come into the United States to request asylum.
0: Okay. And then are they free to go around the country? Yeah. Um, but, so, I know that as a criminal defense attorney, you have court dates then, right? They you They probably do. have to yes. go to court.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, what is, so in a criminal well, I mean, case. I mean, I
2: guess I should correct myself. You might be placed in court. You might not be placed in court. Okay. Yeah. Um, But you do have a deadline on which you must have filed that asylum application.
0: I guess I'm wondering, there's this rumor in the the Republican right that once people come into this country, they won't show up for court. They're just here. That's
2: completely, that's verified false. There have been a number of different studies done by prestigious universities that actually show that um, somewhere upwards of 80% of people who enter this country seeking asylum show up for their court dates, and that only increases when they have attorneys.
0: Wow. Oh. Okay. Upwards of 80%. Mm-hmm.
2: I want to say, I don't remember the exact number, but I want to say it's like 90 if you don't have an attorney and like 95 if you do have an attorney, something really high like that.
0: And in, in the criminal <laughs> cases, we call those where you don't appear. It's called failure to appear. Yep. Um, and then a warrant can be issued for you. Yes. And does that happen in, 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 in immigration? In
2: immigration, if you don't show up, you are automatically ordered deported.
0: Oh, okay. So there's an even bigger incentive to show up. Yes. Well, you know, um, if you look back, uh, Lauren Bobert has a less than eighty percent failure to or appearance rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so these immigrants are appearing more frequently in court when required than Lauren Bobert did.
2: In. Congress? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: No, not Congress. I mean, in her criminal history.
2: Oh, in her criminal history? Yeah. Oh, like yes, that. that is true. I think that she FTA'd on every single one of her cases. So uh-huh. she, yeah.
0: yeah. Thank you, criminal history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So her whole big, huge thing about not coming, they won't show up to court is uh, a little bit of the pot calling the kettle black then, huh? Yeah. She
2: does a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's very not self-aware.
0: Yeah. Well, um, that is a lot of information and I know we could go on for hours and hours and we'll probably have you back at some point to do some more stuff. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll take that as a no. <laughs> um, well, uh,
1: speaking of the pot calling the kettle black.
0: Well, thank, thank you, Aaron, for that. You can find this podcast on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember to listen, subscribe, and if you like it, leave a five-star review.
1: I went on a little bit of a Warren Gilbert rabbit hole the other day.
0: I told you to stop doing that. I
1: have to because she really just gets under my skin. Um, But something stuck out to me that... I just think it's kind of ridiculous. So Lauren Boebert claims that liberals want to get rid of the words mother and father and want to get rid of parents altogether because, and I quote, they want the state to raise their children. This is all in response to just using gender-neutral term parents in official documents.
0: I I saw that tweet. I thought it was stupid.
1: (laughs) It is stupid. And let me tell you why I think it's stupid. Um, for me, you know, it's like a, it's just a complete lack um, of evidence that she provides, and, and not only this, but literally everything that she says um, and stands for, for that matter. And you know what? Some families do have a mother mm-hmm. and a father, but some just have one or the other, and some have two moms or two dads, mm-hmm. and that's perfectly okay. Yep. Um, you know, we should be including parents of all orientations and certain, certainly in the LGBT, LGBTQ. Communities and single parent households as well, and you would think that Lauren Boebert would understand that.
0: Well, in some families, kids will have, you know, when when you start including step parents, right, uh, four, three, or four parents, right. you know, and, and as long as they're co-parenting, and actually parenting, that's not a bad thing, right. in my mind. Um,
1: but yeah, you know, I just thought it was interesting, especially because Lauren Boebert comes from a single parent mm-hmm. household yeah. and um, it, has, it has been told that she did depend on government assistance during her upbringing. Yes. So one might say that the state helped raise Raised her. her. Um,
0: well, I, so I did a deep dive into this too, and I found a place where it said that we're actually using space lasers to raise the children. Oh, oh, yeah. Cool. Um, I, How does one do that? You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene was explaining <laughs> it to me. And um, I got lost. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Interesting. That's obviously
0: not true, guys.
1: <laughs> obviously. <laughs> well, it goes to say, you know, never forget where you came from, but it really seems that Lauren Boebert is completely out of touch.
0: But it is true that the House this year did pass a resolution that it knew laws would say parents instead of mother and father. Right. But it, that And that did, really
2: just makes the law more concise. Laws are difficult enough to read for people who have been, trained to read them yeah having fewer words will make it easier
0: and in, in, a, in a more encompassing word it makes it easier because now when i write a brief i don't have to explain what a mother is and a father is or why this person has two mothers or two fathers i can just say they parents yeah right
1: because regardless of if it's a woman a man two women it, really doesn't it doesn't matter they're the child's parents
0: yeah and and i don't know that the government wants to raise children um I would be wondering how orphanages feel about the government raising children because they're vastly underfunded.
2: Right. Well, I think she's trying to also get at another issue that you touched on on your, I think it was on your Facebook the other day about child care and how the official BBB, the Build Back Better plan, includes more funding for child care yep. over the next 10 years. Um, so which,
0: that's infrastructure.
2: I, I really think that that's such a great idea because people spend more than their mortgages every year on child care. Um, yeah. And that just is insane to me. It, it's, and then the people who participate in child care throughout the nation, the average pay is $12 an hour. That's not even minimum wage in Colorado. So I think that she's trying to get at, this is the state raising your children.
0: But this, we, we, we are nowhere... That that's not on anybody's agenda.
2: No, it's not. You're still parenting. But, you know, the other thing to keep in mind is that we've become a very individualistic society. Mm-hmm. I mean, we think that we can do it all. We can't do it all. We have to rely on other people to do things. That's why we go to restaurants, because we're relying on other people to pick, to cook for us. And it's why we have school. I mean, we, we can't do everything. And it takes a village to raise a child.
0: I think you might yes. be giving Lauren Bobert a little bit too much credit. I think you're right. <laughs> in thinking that she had ideas behind it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more likely somebody told her to say it.
2: Yeah, but the person behind her is having this thought. Could be.
0: It could be. Yeah. Well, thank you. And thank you, Aaron, for joining us today. Of course. Thank you. Thanks, Keely, for being here as always. Of
1: course. Happy here.
0: So that has been our episode. Um, Thank you guys for listening. As always, you can go to WilhelmforColorado.com to listen to this. Um, You can listen to it on Stitcher and Spotify or wherever you find your podcast. Please leave us a five-star review and remember to subscribe for all the episodes. Also, when you go to WilhelmforColorado.com, you can sign up to volunteer to help make sure Lauren Boebert is no longer tweeting from a place of power. And just sitting at home in her basement tweeting. You can also donate to help make sure that Lauren Bobert is no longer a part of government. So that's really what this is all about. We need to protect our society from her.
1: Yeah, and also please check out our um, future events so you can see Colin in person, ask him any questions that you might have.
0: Yep. And um, you can also ask questions directly from there via email, and I will be answering them myself. We don't have staffers answering emails whenever possible. Thank you, guys. And we'll see you next week.